Well, good morning to each one. Greetings in Jesus' name. It certainly is good to be here this morning. I, too, want to welcome our new members, and we wish you the Lord's blessing. This morning for a message, I invite you to Acts chapter 20. I find it interesting how the Lord works. I'm sure Nathan had no idea where I would be preaching from this morning, but he introduced the message very well with his devotional from Acts chapter 2. In Acts, in Acts chapter 20, we have a story of a New Testament communion service. This communion service started out good, but partway through, there was a terrible disaster. However, in the end, it all turned out good. The title for my message is Once Dead, But Now Alive. I want to read verse 7 through 12 of chapter 20, but before I read, I want to make several comments about this passage. Notice, first of all, two words in verse 7, and those two words are came together. The disciples came together to break bread. Today we have come together to break bread, to remember what Jesus has done for us. For the Christian, communion is a time of identification. As we take communion today, we are publicly identif identifying ourselves with the Lord Jesus. This service is a time for you and I to publicly declare that we believe Jesus' death and resurrection was for us. And so, just like the disciples, we have come together. As I read this passage, I want you to notice three things that happened in their coming together. Verse 7, the first part of verse 7, they came together to break bread. They gathered to remember Christ's suffering and death. The second reason we find in verse 7 as well, Paul preached unto them. They gathered to hear the word of God. And then verse 13, they were comforted. Through remembering what Jesus had done for them and hearing the word of God, the fellowship of brothers and sisters, they were comforted. And so we have come together today to remember the suffering and death of our Lord and Savior, to hear the word of God, and my prayer for us today is that we would leave this place with hearts that are full of comfort. And so I will read Acts 20. I'll begin at verse 7 and read through 12. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. 
When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. And so they came together to break bread, the disciples as well as others. Picture, if you would, this special service. It's apparently dark outside. I can imagine that lamps are lit, flickering their cozy light. Paul is the guest speaker. And in this special late evening service, we have an interruption that brings this service to a halt. A young man named Eutychus, who had found a comfortable seat in a window frame, fell to sleep and then fell out the window. It says he fell from the third loft or the third story. And I can imagine that was probably somewhere around 20 feet. He hits the ground with what must have been an awful thud. It had to be an ugly scene. We can only imagine the people's reaction, the rush of emotion. They possibly gasped. Someone may have hollered. They cried, Eutychus has fallen. I can imagine some rushing to the windows, others rushing down the stairs. The focus is no longer on Paul's preaching. The focus has turned to the welfare of Eutychus. Eutychus has fallen. Will he be okay? The question we find in the end of verse 9. No, Eutychus will not be okay. Eutychus is dead. And so picture with me now this group of believers who had come together to break bread. To remember the suffering and death of Christ. To hear Paul preach a service that they may, look, may have looked forward to for many years, or not years, let's say many days or many weeks. Now they are crying, they're grieving over the loss of Eutychus. Eutychus is dead. <clears throat> we'll leave these folks for a few minutes. I'd like for you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, we find another man that has died. This man died on the cross. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Turn to Luke chapter 23. I'd like to read from 44 to 56. Again, in this account, there is much emotion. His mother's his brothers and all those that loved him are grieving. Jesus has died. I'll begin reading at verse 44. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth unto the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the mist. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. 
And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. <clears throat> and all his acquaintances and the, and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel indeed of them. He was of Armadathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And the day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came from him from Galilee followed after, and beheld the sepulcher, and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. In the first part of this reading, Jesus is slowly dying. There is this unusual darkness over the earth. We see the different reactions. One centurion glorified God and acknowledged that Jesus was a righteous man. Some smote their breast. The women who followed him stood afar off and watched the horrible scene unfold. After Jesus died, a man named Joseph, who was a goodly man, a man of outstanding character. I believe the book of Matthew says that he was even rich. He had acknowledged that Jesus was a righteous man. He asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down from the cross. He wrapped it in linen and placed it in a new tomb. And it says that the women watched how his body was laid in the tomb. Jesus has died. Let's now go back to Acts chapter 20. We left these folks crying. They're heartbroken. They're in shock. <clears throat> but notice Acts 20 verse 10. And Paul went down. And fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Trouble not yourselves, Paul says. Stop crying. Stop grieving. I have good news. Eutychus is alive. Now, if you will, imagine this group of people. They didn't know if they should laugh or cry. Eutychus is alive. He's okay. He's sitting up. He's walking back up the stairs. Eutychus, we thought you were dead. Imagine their excited emotions. Did they shout? Did they start singing? Did they start praising God? We can only imagine. But what a miracle. Once dead, but now alive. Let's go back to Luke 23. We left here another group of sad people, sorrowful people, family, brothers and sisters, friends, 
Jesus has died. Jesus' body was placed in a tomb. Spices and ointments are being prepared by the women to anoint the body. And so now in the beginning of chapter 24, the Marys are headed to the tomb to finish preparing the body. And I'll start reading in chapter 24, verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when ye were yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. So here we have the two Marys arriving at the tomb. They enter in and they find the body missing. Where is the body of Jesus? You know, the evening before, they had seen how the body was laid. Now they are wondering, isn't this where Jesus' body was laid last evening? I mean, are we losing our minds? You know, trauma has a way of, it's hard on the mind. I, and so they're trying to process all this. Well, two men in shining garments asked them, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. The two men reminded the women of something Jesus had said about himself when he was with them in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered. It clicked. Imagine the joy as the women ran to tell the disciples. In the Gospel of Luke, it says they ran with fear and great joy. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. In the Gospel of John, we have recorded that Peter and John ran to the tomb. They found it empty as well. They ran back from the tomb with a message that the tomb is empty. Later, when the disciples were assembled together, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. The disciples left that assembly with a message that they had seen the Lord. Jesus is alive. In John chapter 20, we have the account of the disciple Thomas hearing the news that Jesus is alive. Thomas wasn't buying the story. He said, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. 
You know, Jesus gave him the opportunity to do that very thing. Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas reached out and touched his hand. He placed his hand in his side. Yes, Jesus, I believe. I believe. You were once dead, but now alive. Just a side note about Thomas. I thought about Thomas and his lack of faith over this past week. You know, Thomas was a disciple for Jesus, a disciple of Jesus for many years. He had seen the miracles. He saw the power of Jesus manifested, yet he was doubting. Many of us here today, like Thomas, have followed Christ for many years. We have experienced his power. We have experienced answered prayer. We have felt his peace and his blessing in our life. But yet there are times when our faith is weak. And like Thomas, we find ourselves doubting the power of Christ. And I'd like you, if, if you find yourself there this morning, I'd like you to think about Thomas. Thomas, by faith, reached out and touched the hands of Christ. He placed his hand in his side. The wings or the scars that he felt took him back to the cross. When our faith is weak, we must, by faith, go back to the cross, back to the nail prints, back to the wounded side, back to where we first believed, back to where we first saw the light. Jesus cared about Thomas and his lack of faith. He did not rebuke him sharply. He did not embarrass him there in front of the other disciples. He simply invited Thomas to have faith in him. Here I am, Thomas. Reach out and touch my hands. Reach out and put your hand in my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And you know that same invitation is going out to you and I today. All right, let's go back to Acts 20. Eutychus is alive. He's back upstairs. The service is back underway, the breaking of bread, the preaching of the word. Do you think anyone was fighting sleep? I don't think so. I believe they all are now wide awake. You see, they had just witnessed a real-life example of what they had come together to remember. Sitting right there among them, and hopefully not in the window frame, was a young man that was once dead, but now alive. This morning, communion is a reminder that Jesus is alive. Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. 
amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Eutychus was brought back to life in a miraculous way. God was so good, but you know, he eventually died like everyone else, like all of us will do. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. As Paul continued preaching throughout the wee hours of the morning, I would have loved to have heard what he said. Maybe he reminded them that they too were once dead, but made alive through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and we know, that we too were once dead. I invite you to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, a very familiar passage. But here we see our condition, dead in trespasses and sins. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You, you, Paul is writing, who were dead in trespasses and sin, helpless. That was our condition before we came to Christ. Verse 12, it says that it was a condition without hope, having no hope and without God in the world. Once dead, just like brother Eutychus laying there on the ground, helpless, dead. That was our condition outside of Jesus Christ. But notice verse 4 of Ephesians 2, but God, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us. Notice the plural words throughout the next several verses. This is not something for you personally, yes it is, but it's for all of us as well. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, when we were yet dead in sins, made a way that we can be made alive through Jesus Christ. In verse 7, we have the phrase, in the ages to come, which tells us that being made alive in Christ is more than just a temporary earthly experienced, once dead, but now alive. Let's go back once more to Acts chapter 20. 
Acts 20, verse 12, and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Why do you think this group of people were comforted? Well, first of all, I'm sure they were glad Eutychus was alive. I'm sure that brought joy to their hearts. I believe that was certainly part of their comfort. But this morning, we find comfort in the fact that Jesus is alive. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. We know that he is living whatever man may say. We see his hand of mercy. We hear his voice of cheer. And just the time we need him, he's always near. And so it was in Luke chapter 24. Let's turn back over there to Luke 24. As we think of the comfort Luke chapter 24, verse 13 and following, we read of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And as they walk, they talk like friends do. They're talking about recent happenings. And as they walked, a stranger drew near and joined them. Now they did not know who this stranger was, but we know it was Jesus. And so as the three walked together, Jesus asked, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And they were like, they come back with, like, What? Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass in these last days? And so to this stranger, they begin to tell about a man named Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. They went on and told him about how the Marys went to the tomb and found not his body, and how the Marys had seen a vision of the angel which said that he was alive. Well, this stranger begins to share with them. And it's interesting, first of all, he calls them fools and slow of heart, which coming from a stranger would seem like a bit of an insult. But then this stranger started at Moses and all the prophets and expound unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I'd like to pick up reading at verse 28 of Luke 24. Luke 24, 28. And so you picture these three walking together, and they drew near into the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while we opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem 
and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. Verse 31, it says, their eyes were open. What opened their eyes? What did they see in verse 30 that made them realize that this man, who they thought was a stranger, was actually Jesus? I don't know this morning what that was, but it's possible that in the process of Jesus breaking the bread, they saw the prints of the nails in his hand. Jesus quickly vanished from their sight. I, I can just see the two disciples as they recovered from the shock of realizing who this stranger was. Just shaking their heads and, and saying, you know, we certainly were fools and slow of heart. But did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures. This morning, our hearts burn because we know that Jesus is alive. That's why we can leave this service with hearts that are full of comfort. Once dead, but now alive. What does that mean for you and I today? I would like to read some from Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 6. As we think of once dead, but now alive. And what that means to you and I as we leave this place today. And as we continue through our lives. Now as you know, the book of Romans, some of it is, or I would say most of it is heavy reading. Some of it you have to read over it numerous times to, to catch the thought and what is trying to be said. But as I read some here in Romans chapter 6, I want you to catch the words dead or died and the words alive, liveth, and so forth. I want you to hear them words and not try to understand exactly the whole picture, but to catch those words of dead but now alive. And so I'll start reading at verse 3 of chapter 6 of Romans. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by the baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the glory, I'm sorry, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we also, I'm sorry, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. 
knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so now we're going to go down to verse 22 and 23. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end life. No, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, many thoughts could be shared on what I just read. I know several sermons could be preached on this passage, but I will simply say this. The fact that Jesus once died and rose to life again made it possible that we, who were once dead in trespasses and sins, can be made alive, can be changed, now and for all eternity. And may that fact comfort our hearts today. I want to close with the words that Jesus spoke to Thomas. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. message was so full um, I don't know where to start but I promise I won't preach again okay not right now at least but uh, Dan I'll never read that account in Acts 20 again and, and think of it the same way um, that, that was such a blessing I you know to, I didn't I just didn't think about you know the the communion service and the preaching and so forth uh, uh, and, and this miracle and, 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 um, of, of, of death to life, uh, life to death. Well, that wasn't a miracle. That was an accident. But uh, uh, death to life uh, and comparing it with, with, with Jesus, and uh, that, that was beautiful. Uh, and, um, <clears throat> of course, we're about to, to, to use these emblems and share these emblems as Jesus commanded us to. Um, <clears throat> But um, I, I've been blessed many times by, by those two on the road to Emmaus in, in Luke 24. But I don't think I, verse, verse 30, I guess, that he ended up with there in, in Luke 24, I, I don't think I had realized uh, before that it was like Jesus sharing communion with them 
or, or Jesus reminding them um, about himself. As he had told them to remember before the crucifixion. And so they invited him into the house because it was getting toward evening. They didn't know who it was yet, as Dan clearly told us, of course. But uh, you see, it happened the same way. Like at the, at, the, uh, at the Passover, after they were eating, or while they were eating the Passover, he took the bread and cup, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Let this remind you of me in the days to come. But that's what he did right here in their house after he was risen from the dead, and they found him on the road to Emmaus. Verse 30, and it came to pass, as he said it, meet with them. In other words, they invite him into the house, they had some food, of course, like we do, food and fellowship, you know. Uh, as he said it, as, while he was eating with them, then he took the bread. I'm reading not, you know, from, from Luke 24 now, you know, after the resurrection. He took the bread, he blessed it, just like he had showed them before. He broke it, he gave it to them. Of course their eyes were open. Of course they had to remember. And uh, I agree with you, Dan. You know, they're using his hands there before them. Of course they could see the scars. Let me just point out a couple things in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and then... Uh, then we will uh, partake of the emblems. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, reading uh, verse 23 and 24, Apostle Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, and then the last words of, of this verse, and then the words of of uh, verse 24, there are eight things, eight things <clears throat> that Jesus either did or said. And, and if, if you haven't marked them in your Bible, maybe for homework you could do that. But eight things that Jesus did or said. <clears throat> the end of verse 23, he took bread. He, made, he did a ceremony, he made, he created a ceremony of remembrance, you might say. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he said, take it, he said, eat it, he said, this is my body, this represents my body, this should remind you of my body, this represents my body. My body that suffered for you, or my body that was broken for you, that was pierced for you, that suffered for you. And this do in remembrance of me. That's eight different things there that I pointed out. Do this all in remembrance of me, the one that gives you eternal life. So, David, would you come and prepare the bread at this time? 
for the feet washing service. <clears throat> and you may turn there. I'm not going to read um, um, the whole passage uh, this time, um, but would just uh, like to make just a few comments and then make a couple of comments concerning uh, the ordinance of the Holy Kiss also. But in John 13, uh, notice how it points out two times in the passage that Jesus knew. We see a man in flesh that was deity. A man in flesh that was God. Jesus knew. Look at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Jesus knew that. There were a lot of times through his ministry, or, or numbers of times, at least recorded, maybe more than that, of course, uh, that they were out to get him. But the time was not yet. It was not the proper time. Now Jesus knew. Jesus knew when the proper time was for all this to happen. So we see that in verse 1. Also, it says in verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. This was not just some great preacher walking around preaching. This was God in, God in the flesh. This was God himself come down in the flesh. Jesus knew where he came from. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knowing. Look at the end of verse 1 now. Back to verse 1, the end of it. He loved them unto the end. Now, Jesus knew, Jesus was God, Jesus was, was, was God incarnate. Jesus was so high, yet he loved you and I. He loved uh, even Judas, who was going to betray him. He loved even Peter, who was going to deny him. He loved them unto the end. That's our Jesus. Now, look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus created a ceremony here right in the eyes of the twelve. Right in front of the twelve. Let's look at this ceremony and some of the details of it just quickly. Verse 4 and 5. They were, they were eating supper, okay? Sitting around eating supper. They were sitting, apparently, because it says, He riseth. So they're sitting, He's sitting with them. Now He riseth. He's going he's to show them something. He's going to do something in front of them. He's going to do something for them that will get their attention in a special way. He riseth from supper. He laid aside his garments, like his, his outer coat or cloak. He took a towel. He girded himself. He poureth water in a basin. 
He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel. Of course, this wasn't the normal time of, of feet washing in, in the culture of feet washing in that day. You didn't you, you wash feet when the strangers came in. You don't sit around and wash feet after you eat supper or something. So this was a special, special ceremony he was creating, as it were. And also, not only was it not the normal time to wash feet, the master didn't wash the servant's feet, but it was the other way around. But, but this master, he, he changed his clothes, as it were, and made himself look like a servant. And got down and washed their feet. In verses 7 to 16, we realize the purpose of all this was not because their feet were dirty. It was a ceremony to teach something deeper and higher than that. And beyond that. And I noted one other thing. I I just called it his, his intimacy with them. Being right on their level and rubbing shoulders with them and and loving them. Having a good relationship with them. And I already said in verse 4, he was sitting with them eating. And then he rose from that position. But he was sitting with them eating. In verse 12, after he had went through all this and explained to them some things. In verse 12... He sat with them again. In other words, he, like he got down on their level, sat with them, and then explained to them in an intimate setting, you see. And then, as I already alluded to already, the thing of the garments. And the word garments is used in verse 4 and... Verse 12, he took off his outer cloak or garment. So maybe they were dressed up in, 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 a, in a certain way for this, uh, for this feast of the Passover. More, maybe a more of a formal occasion or something. That could be some more of your homework, by the way. By the way, of, of their, their, his garment, taking his garment off and putting it back on. But, but, uh, but he took part of his garment off and, and got down in his work clothes, as it were. To wash their feet. Like, like a slave. Like a servant. And then after that. He comes back. You know now, now it's the formal occasion again. He puts his coat back on. And sits down with them. In an intimate way. And teaches them. I'll just quickly turn to two, two places concerning the, the, uh, the ordinance of the, the holy kiss. That is right at the end of, of uh, Romans 16. So we have here um, an example of Paul talking about the holy kiss, and then we'll look at an example of Peter talking about the kiss of charity. Uh, at the end of, of uh, near the end, not quite the end of uh, Romans 16. Well, as you look at the beginning of Romans uh, 16, you see... Uh, 
as you just quickly look over your scripture, you see where Paul is sending agreement, uh, uh, greetings and commendations and, and salutations to various ones as he closes out this letter to the church at Rome. And so you see the word uh, at the beginning of, of verses, greet, 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 salute, uh, greet, and then a long bunch of verses where it says salute, salute, salute. Sending greetings, sending salutations, and so forth to various ones. And then when it gets to verse 16, he's talking to the people that are living together at Rome where this letter is going to. And he says, salute one another with an holy kiss. First Peter 5, we have then Peter uh, speaking about this. First Peter 5. <clears throat> the last two verses, the last two verses of First Peter 5, verse 13. The church that is at Babylon elected to gather with you, saluteth you. And so doth Marcus, my son. Again, Peter, at the end of his letter. He's saying, we're sending salutations to you. The church. I, I, I noted as I read this earlier, elected together with you. Suggesting, hey, we're all the same. We're all in Jesus the same. You know, we're not better than you or, or, or you are not better than us because of the geographic location where you may find yourself. Or the family which you came from. Or the church name that you have. Or something like that. No, he said, elected together with you. <laughs> we're all the same in Christ Jesus. It's interesting how he, how he says that. The church that is at Babylon elected together with you. Saluteth you. Salutations are being sent. Then verse 14. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. May we be reminded of the love that should be expressed from between us as we go through this uh, this morning, the, uh, the humbleness that should be expressed, the servanthood that should be expressed, and so forth. So um, we'll participate in this as we are given direction, and uh, the song leaders uh, can lead us in singing uh, during this time.